Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Amen. All right, well, we got a lot of ground to cover. Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7. Uh, if, you're, if you feel like this series is, or this message today uh, doesn't make a lot of sense and you need more context, it's because it's one in a long stream, uh, string of messages uh, on the book of Romans. So we're in chapter 7. And just to give you a brief synopsis, we're not going to really uh, dig in too much as far as in, by way of review. You can go back on our YouTube channel and watch the other messages um, but I've been really blessed by this book and all that it is. And uh, man, the, the theology that Paul is digging into and teaching us and instructing us in, it is some weighty stuff. And so uh, just to give you by way of understanding what, what this book was written to, uh, it was a letter um, writ, writ, blah, 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 written, there it is. I should have one more drink of this coffee. <laughs> we didn't get enough. Maybe that'll get me through there. Written, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the house churches, which we think are... Happy birthday, Chloe. Good to see you. Uh, I forgot to text you this morning. But um, four, four, maybe five house churches uh, in this community of Rome. And the, the lay of the land, if you will, is some poor Jewish... Uh, Torah-abiding citizens, and there, there was a lot of unrest, right? So you've got in here um, a period of time where they were expelled from Rome um, because of the concern of the administration, the government, that there was going to be an uprising. Uh, and then they trickle back into Rome. These Jews are, are devout Jews, and even the ones that... I think we, we get this picture sometimes in our mind, in our Western culture, that these guys... They got saved and accepted the gospel, and then they were all the same in the church. That's not at all how it was. They accepted Jesus as their Messiah, as their fulfillment of the law. They didn't abandon the law. They were still Torah-abiding uh, Jews. They still kept the law. They still were uh, in their routines and in their rituals. And so you have here in view... Uh, and I don't think this context is spelled out a lot in churches. I know it wasn't for me growing up, but you have Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles, and you have them melding together. And so this letter is addressing that specifically. It is addressing how do we have a congregation of Torah-abiding Jews and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles coming together? How do we have unity in the body of Christ? And look, this is extremely applicable to today. Even in our church, like the church should be the most diverse group of people on the face of the planet. Yes. But yet, but yet, we see that it's still sometimes the most segregated day of the week. Why is that? Because we don't have a view of the gospel the way we should. We don't see what has transcended and the social, economic, uh, economical uh, all of these different barriers that are created in our society, society, they should be broken down in the church. There should be a clear path to one another uh, on the grounds of the gospel. And so you're going to see that today. I mean, probably in a more direct, 
Uh, this chapter seven, he's going for it. And I'm gonna pull in some passages from Galatians, um, even Peter at the end, but, but really, same author, you're gonna see him ask the same question. And the truth of this message, man, it hit me so hard. How many like that when the truth of God's word just smacks you upside the head? Anybody? And I don't mean in a bad way, I mean in a good way. You know, I, man, it just it hit me this week. I was like, that's so good. Uh, so we're gonna get a clear view. Look, I believe that the problems that we face in society, the answer is right here. Right here. It's not in our leaders. It's not in our politicians, right? The, The answer to society is within this book. The answer is Jesus. The thesis statement of this entire study of this book is Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 is, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God to those that believe. And so this message of the gospel, Paul is saying, will be powerful enough if you accept it to break down your barriers, your preconceived notions, your friend group, your social status. It will break it all down to the point where you can worship together. Paul's Paul's goal here, I think we could say, if we articulate it in this way, it is Christoformity. It is that we would become like Jesus together, that we would conform to the image of Jesus Not that we would conform to the image of of the pastor or what we think good looks like, but that we would conform to the image of what he has portrayed. And there's a specific doctrinal uh, reason for that. And so uh, buckle up. We're going on a ride. All right, we're going to go on a ride. Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, It's not that long, but I, I really think that it's necessary for us to kind of lay some groundwork, especially for those that have not been following along with the series. So Romans chapter seven, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, it's on the screen. Verse number one, since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, pause. He's talking to, the letter is written to uh, Torah abiding Jews and non-Torah abiding Gentiles. Who is the focus here in chapter seven? Those that know the law would be the what? Torah abiding who? Jews. That's who's in view here. Now, he's already established, and we've talked about this before, that they are the weaker of the two. He used the term weak and strong. Weak being those that have to have their system, those that have to have their structure. Strong being those Gentiles that literally don't need anything. They have Jesus, and that's it. They, they are both are necessary, both are needed, both need to come together, but one group is clearly weaker than the other in mentality. And so uh, from the, the standpoint of when Jesus addressed the Pharisees, remember they were Pharisees because they were uh, religious zealots. Those that are the weaker brothers are those that consider themselves more spiritual than the others. Those are the weaker Paul is addressing. In their theological system, Uh, that they're leaning into rather than saying, I can literally be in any context and follow the Lord. I can literally be in any situation and put my faith and trust in Jesus without uh, the law, so to speak. Um, But specifically, and all of that's been addressed in other messages and will continue to be addressed as we uh, plot our way through this book, but the point here is chapter seven, the the group that's in view as Phoebe reads this letter aloud in the church Uh, in the house church, is this is specifically to those Torah-abiding Jews. And consider, if you think about it, it was probably like Torah-abiding Jews on one side and non-Torah-abiding Gentiles on the other. There was separation, and he's trying to get them to come together. So, since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, 
Don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? So we're going to talk about the title of the message is the law, right? So uh, don't you know that it rules over them as long as he lives? For example, this is an illustration. A married couple is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then if she is married to another man, she's not an adulteress. And you hear all the ladies, <laughs> just kidding, uh, teasing, just a joke. <laughs> They're like, okay, alrighty then, we'll solve this problem real quick. <laughs> Verse number four. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, how freaky would that be? Anyway, just to hear that, anyway. Verse number four, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ. See what he did there? So that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law. Death happened. Therefore, we are released. Since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of spirit and not in the old letter of the law. My goal here is for you to not go, oh, turn it off. This is weird and this doesn't make much sense to me. My goal is for this to make complete sense for you today. He uses an analogy and he says the law is you're in a relationship with the law, brothers and sisters. And that relationship had to be brought to death before you could be joined to another. If your husband and wife, now this is in their uh, Mosaic law, if you will. Now there are some parts of this that translate to today. The moral law aspect where uh, my wife and I live by this principle. We, we don't believe in divorce, right? But that's not, this isn't the place to receive your doctrine on marriage. This is a what? An example, right? This is an illustration Paul is using that in your context, in your Jewish brothers and sisters that are abiding by the Torah, you know how this works. If your husband's alive, uh, you shouldn't be married to another man. Why? Then you would be called an adulteress. If, if he dies, no one is going to say, well, you can't remarry because the man's what? He's dead. So you can get married to another. And the, the illustration becomes clear in their mind. So we have to put our minds into their mind and say, what's the illustration here? He's saying to them, do you know how your spouse that you're sitting next to, you would never dream of walking out on them unless they were dead. Well, this is what's happening when Jesus Christ killed your sin, when your sin was uh, crucified with him, he became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. You that are in your sin, the law relationship that you have is the law tells you that you're a sinner. The law tells you that you're unable to keep the law. That's what it does. The relationship that you have with the law is uh, in such a way to show you that you are imperfect. But when Jesus came, he he didn't do away with that. He fulfilled it. He was tempted like you are tempted. He was challenged like you are challenged. The enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness 40 days like Israel was tempted in the wilderness for 40 years. He is the new Israel. He is the one, uh, the Jew that would fulfill the law in such a way that Israel never did. So he's saying, why would you sit there 
and live and continue in the law without the power of Jesus' resurrection. If he's brought your sins to death, you can then be married with Christ in the gospel. Okay, I know that was a lot. Hold on, we're going to continue to develop that thought, but that's where he's going. And they're starting to see this. They're starting to go, okay, yeah, got you, Paul. Where are you going with this? Verse number seven. I think that's where I was. What should we say then? Now, remember he did this question asking thing last week. We did three of them and answered absolutely not or God forbid. He's going to do it again here. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what is to covet if the law had not said do not covet. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the holy, uh, the, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just uh, and, and good. Therefore, did what is good, here's another question, become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. What he's saying is this. Because the law is present, we therefore know that we are breaking the law. Without the law being there, we would not know that we were breaking the law. Now, what he's referring to, what they're thinking, Torah-abiding Jews, they're thinking about the Torah. We could boil it down to Ten Commandments, right? But that was just the beginning. What he gave them at Sinai, Moses, right? The Mosaic Law, what he gave them, for them to live by, before he gave that to them, it was chaos. They didn't know how bad they were. But when God said, let's gather here, and he comes down on Sinai, and he delivers the law to Moses. As soon as Moses walks down the mountain with the tablets of stone, they were what? Breaking the law. Judas priest, right? So the idea is like, literally, they see the law, and they're like, oh my goodness, we're breaking the law. Without the law, there's no sin. With the law, they see it. It's in front of them. It's like this. How many of you never break the speed limit? Never. How many of you break the speed limit every day? (laughs) The sign is posted. That is the what? (laughs) Do you ever abide by? No. That's the law. What would happen if Governor Hogan got on his Facebook and he would be like, citizens of Maryland, (laughs) anyway, whatever he does. No more speed limit for the whole Memorial Day weekend. Have fun. Stay safe. (laughs) We'd be like, all right, yes. Great. Oh, the governor just, look, people would be dead. People would be dead. The absence of the law that is there is, is <laughs> like, literally, it's not going to make things better. It's going to make things worse. And when the law is there, it shows us, well, we can get away with five over or ten over. Right? It shows us that we're constantly pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable. The manufacturer, the one who built the car, the one who knows way better than you says, this is probably the the way that you should go. Look, this is, (laughs) why, I was talking about this this morning, like, I got this little car, this new little car, because it's cheap and because gas is so expensive. 
I bought this little Kia Soul. <laughs> it's a girl car. <laughs> and I drive it. No offense, ladies. No offense. It is. I've had so many of you fellas give me a side eye when I pull up in my little Kia Soul, like, what is the pastor doing? <laughs> I'm secure. I really am. But I'm like sport mode in a Kia Soul. Like, what is that? It's an oxymoron. You know what I mean? You hear that little four-cylinder. Sounds like a weed whacker coming down the road. <laughs> it's no good. But anyway, I still break the law on my Kia Soul. <laughs> The point is, is the posted speed limit sign, it reveals to us that this is what we do. And then what we do is we justify. Well, I break the speed limit, but I don't drink and drive. Laws are laws, right? A broken law is a broken law. We just weigh the consequences. Well, here's what the law does as far as the scriptures. When God delivered the commandments to Moses and it was revealed to them, they then see the fact that sin is reigning. And that the consequence, remember last week, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So death is reigning in your relationship to the law. But what Paul asks, he says, is the law death? We blur the line. We say rules just bring death. But it doesn't. It's our sinful behavior, right? And this is the point that Paul, I mean, look, this is a debate right now in society. An unbelievably tragic event this week in Texas, in Uvalde, Texas. Incredibly tragic. But like consider, con consider this with that. The debate goes to laws and whether laws will or won't prevent. Look, we know that evil is present in this world. That's what we're fighting. And so the argument will always be how much what? How much law? How, how, how many laws can we make to prevent? This is the topic of conversation as it pertains to our salvation. When, when the Lord delivered the commandments, look, there are certain religious sects, if you will, that abide by what? Laws. They abide by rules. And they think that those rules are actually giving them or meriting them salvation. What Paul is saying, any rule, any law, all it's going to do is show you that you're unable to keep it in your current state. That's why I'm not big on religion. You're like, you're a pastor. <laughs> exactly. I'm not big on systems and structures of how to live. I'm big on relationship. That's what I'm big on. And I'm going to show you why from the text today. So are we following the, 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 the process here, the, the frame of mind, what Paul is saying? Look at the next verse, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. So he's debunking this thing that the law is no good and it's bad and it brings death. We know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. What's Paul doing? He's taking personal responsibility. And I love this. But I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin, using another analogy, one that they would have understood. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if what I now, if I do what I do not want to do, this is confusing, follow it, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. And that's the difference between this culture and the Bible. 
Everybody thinks they're good today. But the Bible says it's not true. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do, watch this, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. We're good at that, aren't we, men? Oh, it's just the sin that lives in me. I didn't do that. (laughs) It wasn't me. It was my sin. That's the reason I forgot to take out the trash. Don't blame it on me. Blame it on my sin. That's kind of what he's saying. (laughs) So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I desire, I delight rather in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind, taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25, love it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. I, I want this to make sense to you all today. I want you to have a clear view of the law. So uh, let's start and break this thing down. 1151, we're doing great. Here's the first question that he asks. Question number one, is the law sin? And we see this right here in verse number of chapter seven, I believe, verse number seven. What should we say? Is the law sin? The answer is this, an emphatic no. It said, he says, absolutely what? Not. The law is not sin. The second question, he says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Look, this type of justification is everywhere today. We still do this. It's still in our society. We take something that revealed the bad in us and we said, well, that thing's bad. (laughs) They say to Paul, the law revealed what was bad. Yeah, So then the law must be bad. Paul's like, no, it's not the law. It's what the law is revealing. It's your sinful nature. And and here's, here's where he's going with this. If the law is revealing to you what is bad, then what they were doing is ignoring the law. Don't we see that in society? Well, I would read the Bible, but when I read it, it tells me things that I don't want to hear. Things that I don't want to see. I'd rather... Look, we have this like Disney theology. This mentality that like, and I'm not picking on Disney. Everybody knows what they are. We know what they are and we still go and enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? The most magical place on earth. Just believe in yourself. (laughs) Believe. Anyway, whatever. Any song that you can think of, it's going to have that one truth, that one humanist undertone that you've got what you need inside your heart. Is that what Paul is saying? He's like, nah. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And and if if we're not careful, we're gonna let our children create their own theology by their shows on Netflix. We're gonna let our children grow up or we're gonna let our teenagers think that they're something even though we all know they're not good. We're the ones telling the coach, put my kid in the game. They need a trophy. (laughs) No, they don't need a trophy. They need to figure out what? Why they're here on this planet. They don't need people lying to them, telling them that they're good at something that they ain't good at. We got a problem here. You know, self-esteem will start with, I think I'm going to move this thing right here (laughs) before I get knocked over. 
The key to good self-esteem is living up to your God-given potential as to why you were created in the first place. But living in this altered ego, this altered state, is what these Jews were doing and also what these Gentiles were doing. And Paul is like, first you have to confront yourself with the truth. You aren't good. We have to tell ourselves that. Well, that's not very encouraging. Trust me, it'll be encouraging on the other side of it. It will. So we find here that he's working through this mentality. He says, so then the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. Here's the third question he asks. Who will rescue me from this body of death then? If the law is good and it's not bad and it's not what's killing me, then who's going to rescue me from the mess I'm in? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus Christ. Jesus will rescue you. The Torah abiding Jew in this view, watch this, just wrote down some thoughts here. The law is not sin, but has revealed your sin is active. The law is not your sin, but it has revealed your sin is active and must be confronted and dealt with. The law is not a negative thing because it shows you your negative side. Look, this is a true saying, and I'm reiterating here. We err when we walk away from the sources that are giving us the truth and believe the lie that our deceitful heart wants to tell. And this is something that I believe is a huge problem in our culture. Let me give you a little scripture to go with this. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says this, The heart is more deceitful than anything else, and incurable Who can understand it? The prophet Jeremiah, he was the lamenting prophet. Yes, he was always painting things from a a pretty sad picture. And when he paints this thought about our heart, he says to many, he says, hi, Rex. He's staring at me. (laughs) He's all, what you doing, Dad? When he paints this picture, he says, look, the heart of man is deceitful. It's wicked. It's incurable. And now we see why the law was given. And think about this. We've kind of touched on it. God chooses a people, the children of Israel. He chooses a people group to reveal, watch this, himself to mankind. And in order to reveal himself to mankind, he had to to give a perspective. He had to give the reason why he needed to be revealed in the first place. Men had to see that they were sinful creatures. And so when God delivers the law on Sinai through Moses, man begins to see this law as it pertains to who they are. The law reveals to them their sinful heart. Look, we would do good not just to tell our children who we are and be transparent with them, but show our children that we're okay with uncomfortable conversations. Show our children that we're okay when we, when we go to the scriptures and when we see those things that we struggle with. Look, the author Paul said, the things that I should do, guess what? I don't do them. If Paul can be open and transparent, having penned 13 books of the Bible, can't we? Can't we be honest with our children? Can't we be upfront that we struggle and that we're not perfect? But yet religion pushes us into this mold that we feel like, well, we have to maintain. We, we have to uh, just go to church week in, week out, act like nothing's wrong. We talk about things when they're not around. 
And all we do is perpetuate the law of sin and death in our hearts that we know is revealing to us, but we're not being honest and transparent with others. I just feel like with our children, we've got to have parents that will step up to this plate and be honest and transparent with what they're dealing with with their kids. You're not helping them not talking about it. You're not helping your kids when they don't see that you're struggling with the law of sin and of death. Look, it's my kid, like I have a backseat driver. Her name is Rainy Jewel. I mean, she keeps me on point all the time. Dad, you're speeding. <laughs> I'm like, shut up. She's that child. Dad, it was red. It was red and you went through it. No, it wasn't. It was yellow. I couldn't even see. How did you see the red? You saw the red because you're in the back seat. And I was already past it, and I'm in the front seat. These are the kind of arguments I have with my almost nine-year-old. Oh, my goodness. But look, when it, when it comes down to behavioral issues, here's what we often say. This is how I overcome it. This is what I do. Think about how they're receiving that. They're receiving it that you never struggle. They're receiving from you that you've figured this thing out and then they struggle to figure it out and then they go, I've never figured it out. And all that happens is a communication barrier where neither of you talk about your stuff. Paul is literally going, hey, Torah abiding Jew over here. Hey, non-Torah abiding uh, Gentile over here. You think you gotta put on a face so that they don't pick holes in your religious system? You don't have to do that. There's a reason the law came, and the reason is this. We are all sinners. No matter what your religious system is, none of us are good. None of us have been able to measure up, and so the point is, is when we're compared with a list of rules, we all fall short. We all break them. That's the point of the law, and, and I want to give this caveat here. I feel like being raised in a certain type of church it was always that there was law and grace. Has anybody ever heard that perspective? It's law and grace. Here's what I don't see in the text, and this is for some of you like 4D chess that have been with the Lord a long time. He never tells the Torah abiding Jew to stop abiding by the Torah. So therefore the premise that law is bad and grace is good is wrong. Both of them could be Torah-abiding Jew and non-Torah-abiding Gentile and meet in the middle. Paul never says to the one, you need to do the other, and says to the one, you need to stop doing that. So therefore, this premise that those that kept the law were bad and those that didn't were good is, is wrong as well. The point of this chapter, and we're going to see, is for the two, watch this, to come together. And there's a reason. Stay with me. Stay with me. The heart is deceitful. Romans 7, 4 through 6, it says this in the passage. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong <laughs> to another son. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law. Sin, we have died to what it uh, held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. It doesn't stop. Look, it doesn't stop with just, and this is kind of what I was hinting at earlier. It doesn't stop with just understanding that the law is right and we are wrong. There's something more. There's another layer to this. 
the Torah abiding Jew must see that their relationship to the law has now changed. Because of Jesus, the effort to live under the rule of law should now be applied to living in the spirit. And here's the transition. What one, the stronger brother who had no law, immediately saw because they had their sinful behaviors and their temple orgies in front of them, when Gentiles were saved, they were like, wow, this is a different lifestyle. But you know what? Similar to the story of the prodigal son, the young prodigal that left home, remember, and went to riotous living, when he came back, he was made a son. He was reinstated. He, he felt the grace. He felt the love of his father immediately. Some of you know the story. Some of you don't. But probably if you know the story, it's for you. The one in the story that stayed, that never left, was the older brother. He was the one that always kept the rules, that always knew what to do. And the story ends with a tension, not with the younger prodigal and the father, but with the father and the older brother. You see, it's often the, those that are in church, those that have been uh, programmed to live and look a certain way, it is us that struggle with doing things in the Spirit. Why? Because we've figured out a list of rules that we do to make ourselves feel better. We do a list of things. We have relationships within this context. We don't venture out too much. And we know as long as we do this thing, as long as we punch our time clock, then we're going to have a home in heaven. That is not what Paul is saying. In fact, those of you that are stuck in religion, I would be more concerned about you than the prodigal who comes home and knows that nothing was done because of him. I'm here because daddy paid my way. Shoot. I got a ring. I got the club. Let He even killed the fatted calf for me. He put my theme song on when I came back in. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because my older brother's been working for me this whole time. Shoot, isn't this amazing? <laughs> and we that never left the fold, we that have been here holding down the fort the whole time, we're angry and we're mad because somebody came home and realized that it wasn't on their own. They couldn't live a good life. They couldn't, whatever. They couldn't live in their sin. We become bitter. Why? Because we don't understand the purpose of the law. It's easier for us law-abiding citizens to look at those that are on the extremes and go, yeah, they're just not a good person. <clears throat> I'm coming for you today. I'm coming for you. I don't care if the speed limit is the only law you break. You're still a lawbreaker. Look, this media, this political climate, what's everybody trying to get you to do? They're trying to get you to live on the what? Extremes. Because that's where conversation doesn't happen. They're trying to get you to be over here on the far right or over here on the far left. And really the answer is somewhere in here where we talk about these things. And we go, well, no. Look, little brother, that was a mistake. Look, older brother, you've lost your heart in this a long time ago. You don't understand. Let's keep moving. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture that just totally puts this whole thing in context and then it just sends us home. You ready for it? When I read this, I had a Holy Ghost fit in my office. I think I fell out of my chair. I was like, man, that is it. Anybody ever have a moment like that with the Lord where you read something in the Bible and you're just like, oh my goodness, that is so applicable. And if you, have, if you hadn't, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Go to Galatians chapter three. It'll be on the screen. Listen to this. This puts it all in context. 
Galatians chapter three, verse 19 through chapter four, verse seven. Why then was the law given? Were y'all wondering this from the beginning? I was. Walking through chapter seven, I'm like, why did this whole thing happen? This is the same author, just in another passage of scripture. Look at the light he brings to this. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the, you see that next word? What's, it's a capital S. It's referring to someone. You see, in the Genesis account, the seed of woman, his, his heel would crush the serpent's what? Head. The seed of woman. The, in the first Adam, we learned last week that all what? Die. But in the second Adam, we are all made what? Come on now, we are all made a... Y'all are like, okay, it's Theology 101. Let me know when you're done, Pastor, and then we'll go to the house and eat our crock pot. I don't know, whatever's in it. Look, y'all gotta get this. This is the money right here. This is the theology that makes the gospel tick. The law reveals to you that you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Jesus comes, right? Romans 1.16, the gospel, the good news, the proclamation to the land is that Jesus came. Israel was tempted in the wilderness 40 years, and what happened? They failed time and time again. They murmured, they complained. Every time Israel faced a challenge, they fell what? Flat on their face. Jesus comes. He's tempted in the wilderness 40 days. He is the new Israel. He is, if you go line upon line, what the children of Israel walked through, it was the old covenant, the establishment that mankind cannot do it on their own. Jesus comes in the same spirit. He is the new Adam. He is the seed, the one that all will now, we all die in the first Adam. We all will be made alive in the second Adam. Why? Because our sinful nature is married to the law. The law revealed our transgressions, but when Jesus died on the cross, that relationship was buried, and it was what? Fulfilled, allowing us to be married to what? Someone else. We are the bride of what? Are you seeing the way this is all fitting together? Jesus' death allows for you to have a new relationship in life. It allows you to be recreated. I think I'm the only one getting excited about this today, and that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> Look, keep going. It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. That's pretty crazy. We don't have time to unpack it. Now, a mediator is not just one person alone, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promise? Absolutely not. For if the law, watch this, for if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. In other words, if you could just keep the law and attain heaven, it would have been on works. But that's not the case because we fall short, yes? yes. Watch it, keep going. But scripture, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to who those believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian 
until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Watch this. But through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Let this smack you in the face. You ready? This is where it gets me. Verse 27. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ, the relationship of death, in his resurrection, a new life. There is no Jew or Greek, which is the whole problem in Romans. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. The Bible was way ahead of its time. It expresses equality and unity at every step of the way. Do you see that? There was caste systems. There were poor oppressed slaves. There were rich. It doesn't matter in the body of Christ. Why? He's adopted you. Watch this. No male, female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Oh my goodness. This is big right here. Heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under, uh, instead he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of woman, the seed, Born under the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. Born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. <sighs> just to unpack that for you. Church, my goodness. The law, none of us would stand a chance. When compared to the list of good, righteous deeds, we needed someone else to go before us. Jesus has fulfilled the requirements. And this is why it works for both the Jew and the Gentile. Follow me on this. You don't, as a Gentile, look at the Jew and say, stop doing that, you Torah-abiding freak. Why would you push that on me? And a Torah-abiding Jew doesn't look at the Gentiles and say, you need to get circumcised. That's what was happening. He fulfilled the law. So no matter where you are, no matter Jew or what? Gentile. No matter lady or man. It doesn't matter. We're trying to identify however we want, does that matter to Jesus? No. He looks at you and he says, I was the seed that you couldn't be. In this relationship, doctrinally, Jesus is our brother. The father sits in heaven looking at us who he created to be his image bearers, broken and in sin. The law shows us all that we're struggling, shows us all that we can't be, the kind of husband that we can't be, the kind of father that we want to be. Why? Because sin reigns in our mortal body and Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do them. But I've been rescued. I don't have to sit in the place where I can't do. Why? Because the law just led me to the one who could do. Oh my goodness gracious. We've got it all wrong. 
It's not I have to do in order to achieve. It's I have to live in what is done. That's the difference. If I'm a slave, I have a task list. If I'm a son, I've achieved the inheritance. The relationship has shifted. If you are in Christ, if your sin has been brought to death in the gospel, in his death, then you can be made alive in Jesus to live and project his righteousness. A son inherits, a daughter inherits. We're fighting over what we can and cannot do. Come on now. As a Christian, we justify our behaviors, yes? Oh. Why do we do that? Why do we justify our behaviors? Why do we constantly go, well, what's right, and this is why I'm doing this? We're doing it because we're still living, comparing ourselves to the law. A Christian that realizes the price that has been paid for them has a really easy task of imaging God's goodness. It's very little about them and mostly about him. Look, I knew I'd get to the end of this message and I'm like trying to take this like thought baby that I have up here about the law and what Paul is doing and it's not easy and I'm trying to transfer that and I want you to hold it and I want the truth of the law and the grace of God to take root in your heart. But I thought to myself, how can I leave you with a thought that will, con- this, this is not gonna happen in 45 minutes, right? This is like deep truth that we need to immerse ourselves in. I've been marinating on this all week, praying in it. And I thought to myself, what makes the difference? If I'm not, look, when you, when you come go to starting point or you join the church, we don't give you a list and say, here's how you behave. <laughs> go be a good little Christian boy and girl. <laughs> this isn't Sunday school with merit badges. You understand know, you know what I'm saying? Well, what's the difference? Does it matter how we live? Is, this is a real conflict for folks. Would you agree? I don't like my wife anymore. Why not just let's go stranger for a new one? <laughs> that's not right. There's, there's, there's do's and don'ts, but that's law. Look, I've been hearing Christians argue about this my entire life. Yes? Or is it just me? It's all justification on the grounds of getting what they want. Look, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to look into scripture, the perfect law of liberty this morning. And I need you to see that we all fall short. None of us measure up. Church, listen to me. But there was one who did measure up. There was one, the promised seed, who came and who did everything that you and I could not do. And here's how I interpret what to know, what to do and what not to do. I wrote this down for you. And this is what I send you home with today. Not yet, because we have a couple baptisms. Here's the thought. Gratitude will compel and conform us into who Jesus wants us to be, where pride and self-sufficiency will only condemn us for who we are in and of ourselves. I'm going to say it again. And I might say it again after that. This is the thought. Where law collides with the Spirit of God where we go and we transition from rules to relationship. Is that scriptural? Yeah. Galatians, you were a slave and now you're a what? A son. He uses specific terminology. Uh, Maybe you missed this one too. He says this, 
when the time of completion, God sent his son, born of woman under the law, redeemed those under the law, might, re- might receive, that we might receive adoption as sons. Let me help you with this. In those days, if you, had a, if you birthed a son that was your child, your blood relative, guess what you could do with him? You could disown him. You could send him packing. But if you made the decision to adopt a child, guess what you couldn't do? Under the law, you couldn't disown them in that culture. When Paul uses the term under the adoption of sons, all of them there went, oh my goodness. I was twofold a child of wrath. I, compared to the law, fell short, but Jesus killed my sin. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. When we say that we have become his righteousness, it's loaded. It means I've been adopted into the family of God. And in that culture, he never disowns who he chose to adopt. People don't understand when they declare their loyalty to Jesus what that means. All rights and privileges for the sons and daughters of the Most High King. This is a gratitude issue. When we get in a you-know-what match over what we can and can't do, we're spoiled sons and daughters, not realizing the gratitude that we should have in the picture of what he gave his only son to adopt a world full of rejects. He gave his blood relative, John 3, 16, into a world of degenerates to adopt us, to bring us into his family. Do you understand? Who in this room would say, I'll give my blood son to adopt a bunch of kids that act like you know what? That's us. We don't have a clear picture of what the gospel means. You have been declared innocent and he condemned his only begotten son so that he could grow his family again because of what we screwed up. Are you with me? That's what chapter seven is all about. When we compare ourselves to the law, we fall short. It's not an excuse to walk away from what we know we should be doing. Here's the word, you ready? Gratitude. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.